Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers. And uh, I'm going to jump right in, but if you, uh, if you would, just join me in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you this day for, uh, for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that you are holy and you are good and you love us. And while we're separated from you by sin, while we've all fallen short, you sent your only son for us, to die for us, to take our place. And he rose again and he's brought us back to life and he's made us sons and daughters of, of God, of you, our Father. And uh, we just thank you for the good news. This morning we ask that you would just uh, draw our, our eyes to you, help our hearts to uh, be open to, to know and to hear the great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, as I speak, that you would say what you once said, and uh, as we hear, that you would uh, have each of us hear what your Holy Spirit would have us hear, so that our so that our hearts would be turned to you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I don't know if everybody knows this about me, but I'm not from Georgia. I'm from Arizona. That's not going to just pull up. That's cool. Uh, anyways, I'm from Arizona. So, when I was really young, I lived in Arizona, and I lived with my grandma for several years when I was really young in Phoenix. And my grandma was the librarian at my elementary school. So in the summers, we had the whole summer off. And it was pretty awesome because my grandma would take us, like, just playing these massive road trips across the country. So, like, from Phoenix to Vermont or Maine, and we'd go, like, up to to Canada first and then over and then back down and around. Like, I've been all over the country because of these summer road trips with my grandma. We went all over the place. We saw lots of things. Now, I was a kid. I was in elementary school. You know, so that kind of sounds crazy. Me and Claire are actually planning a road trip to Arizona this summer, and everybody's like, you have three little kids. That's crazy, right? But this, I have these memories in my head that are really good, and I, I'm sure it was tough for my grandma as well, but there's a lot of time to pass on big road trips, Right? And so we like to play games, you know, you uh, try to get, collect a license plate from every state, or I spy, and we also like to sing songs, road trip songs, right? Now I'm going to do something a little bit crazy, and it's out of my personality. So I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to try to teach you one of my favorite road trip songs, okay? And I'm going to need you to participate once I teach it to you. So I know this isn't the crowd for that, I know we're quiet. Okay, but I'm just going to ask you, like, if I can sing it to you and teach you, then you can sing it with me. All right, we're just going to try this. It's a crazy song. It's a road trip song, and it's one of my favorites. And I don't know very many people in Georgia that know this song, so I don't know if it's just from the West or what. But it goes like this. Well, the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. And the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. And the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. Now, ain't that a heck of a song? Is that awkward for everybody? <laughs> it was awkward for me. It's cool. Now I'm going to need you to sing with me. Okay, we're going to try this again because it, it goes on from there. But that's the whole song. That's all the words in the song. It's not hard. It's, it's not good. But I need you guys to sing it with me. Ready? Well, the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. And the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. Horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. Now ain't that a heck of a song? Okay, then after we do that, we go second verse. Same as the first, but a little bit louder and a little bit worse. There's a lot of songs that do that, 
right? And then what you do is you got to get a little bit faster, a little bit louder, and you got to put a little more twang in it, okay? So now we're going to do that. I need you to go, like, take it up a level, okay? If you, un- if you want to understand the sermon today, then you have to do this, okay? Ready? Well, the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. And the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. And the horse put his foot, put his foot on the ground. Now, ain't that a heck of a song? I'll stop the torture. It's over. It's kind of fun, right? Come on, it's fun. I remember this song, and I remember singing this song on our road trips as we go, like, all across the country. We did lots of other things, too. But that song sticks out to me. And when I sing it, and when I hear all of us singing it together, I can remember my grandma's Mustang convertible, which was pretty awesome. I can feel the seat that I was sitting in. I can remember what the air felt like with the windows down and the the top down. I remember her voice when she would sing it with me, right? And I remember feeling like I was truly with her, like we were together, right? You get this. We all get this. Singing can be a bit awkward on your own. Trust me, I just did it to get you guys started. Singing can be a bit awkward on our own, right? But when all our voices raise together, it can be fun. We begin to cut loose a little, we get vulnerable, and we can enjoy being with each other. It's fun. And so singing songs like this, having fun together on the road, it helped keep the car moving toward our destination, right? It helped us get there. It helped us get the thousands of miles we were traveling. We sang songs, we had fun, we were with each other. Now, the book of Psalms, we're entering into the book of Psalms uh, over the next several weeks. So we're going into the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms is a collection of songs and poetry. I once heard it said that music takes words to places that they can't go on their own. I don't know who said it, but I think it's true. I mean, songs and poetry, they take us to somewhere else. They evoke something in us that other forms of speech and writing just can't do. Beth Moore, if you're familiar with who she is, she writes lots of Christian Bible studies. Uh, Beth Moore talks about how she thinks of a song as the language of the soul. Songs, the language of the soul. And she says this, that emotions and experiences can be expressed through song in a way that spoken words can never satisfy. And she goes on to say that singing lips best express a satisfied soul. Songs, music, poetry, It's the language of the soul, she says. I was looking around through some stuff, and I found this this piece written by a pastor named Jonathan Parnell, and it was on Desiring God's website. And he likens the whole book of Psalms to the fight for faith. He says the book of Psalms is a fight for faith. And I kind of get that, and I think we, we, we can all get this, because we remember poems and we remember songs. I haven't sung when, when, when the horse put his foot on the ground since I was a little kid, really, but I know it. It sticks with you, right? Hopefully you all know it after today. We remember poems. We remember songs. They stick with us. It's like when you smell something and it takes you back to a memory, takes you back to a place. With songs, like our souls are able to relate to today's, relate today's circumstances with the truth and the truths that we believe in our gut. They can keep us going. That's why the military sings songs and shouts chants as they march into battle, right? Because... They are a reminder to the heart of the soldier about what they are fighting for. That's why we sing those patriotic songs that keep us going. See, our faith, I think, I know, 
our faith has the tendency to operate as if God is real, but that he's distant, and that he's hardly concerned with our everyday lives and our everyday circumstances. But the Psalms, this book of songs and poems, they're sung to remind us in the everyday that it isn't true that God is far. God's not far. And we can remember through these songs who God really is, and they help lift our heads to see that he's not far from each one of us. So over the next 15 weeks, we're going to go into the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at 15 chapters specifically. They're entitled the Psalms of Ascent, and it's from chapters 120 to 134. 120 to 134. It's 15 chapters in Psalms, and they're all called the Psalms of Ascent. These are the songs for the journey, for the road trip. It's kind of like the horse put his foot on the ground, except for like a lot more meaningful. These Psalms of Ascent are, are thought by, they're thought by many scholars to be a set of songs that were sung by the Israelites while they were in exile, right? You've got to remember that the Israelites in exile, those who were scattered from their land, the land which symbolized God's faithfulness to keep his promises, and they likely felt while they're in exile, likely like, uh, much like we may feel at times today, that God is distant, that he's not near, not sure if he's still concerned. And so they would sing these 15 songs. They would sing these, uh, these, these songs of ascent because they spoke to their soul. They spoke to their gut-level belief that God was who he said he was, is and he's going to do what he said he would do. And, while they, and they would sing them and they would envision a time and a day when Israel would step up and step out of foreign exile. That's one theory of what the Psalms of Ascent are. are. Others believe that these chapters uh, are a collection of songs that were sung by Israelites pre-exile, right? As they made pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year, they would go for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booth, as they were told to do in Deuteronomy 16, 16 through 17. And so as they would make their way, they would go on these pilgrimages, they would sing these songs, and Jerusalem was the highest point, right? It's pretty much the highest point from just about anywhere. And so the pilgrimage to Jerusalem was an ascent. It was a going up to the city to worship their God, the Lord, who is one. And still there's a third idea of where these songs came from. The other, the last one is that uh, these songs were actually sung at the feast and at the celebrations by the Levites on these 15 steps that were in the temple. There's 15 steps leading from the court of women to the court of the Israelites. And of course, moving up from the court of women to the court of Israelites is symbolic of a move towards God, right? And so there's some who believe that these 15 songs go with those 15 steps and they would sing these there. I'm not so sure that any of these are definitely in competition while some would definitely stick to their guns and pick one or the other. The way I see it, it could be all of those things. They could have sung them in all those contexts for sure. I'm not sure in competition. I don't think it really matters because the significance of their being titled the Songs of Ascent remains the same, right? In all these cases, it's a going up. It's about the journey. It's about the pilgrimage. It's about going on the way. I mentioned that article by Jonathan Parnell earlier, and he said that the Psalms were about a fight for faith. He goes on to say this when he talks about the Psalms of Ascent. This is awesome for me. If the Psalms are a fight for faith, the Psalms of Ascent 
are an all-out brawl. If they're a fight for faith, this is an all-out brawl, these 15 chapters. See, these set of songs, they illuminate, and this is what they need to do for us, I think, they illuminate a fork that's in the road right before us, right? Will we choose to believe that God is distant and then take control ourselves and go our own way or go some other way? Or will we recall who he really is and fight for faith to believe him and to follow him in his way? Which way are we going to go? And so the Psalms of Ascent are a place we can go to and the songs that we can remember to say what we ought to believe, what we really can believe. This is where it comes to a head. And we have to remember and we have to speak truth to ourselves and remember the gospel and remember to follow after him. So Psalm 120, if you want to turn there. Psalm 120, it sets our feet at this fork in the road. So like if I'm going from Augusta to Arizona on my road trip or if we're on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem or if you're at the bottom of 15 steps and you need to get to the top, it doesn't really matter. We have to know where we're starting from to get where we're going, right? And Psalm 120, verse 1, I'm just going to read verse 1. Psalm 120, verse 1 says this. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. In my distress... I called to the Lord and he answered me. I called out in distress and God answered me. See, what I want us to see is that that's not the action of a distant, unconcerned God. That's a God who's near. That's a God who hears. That's a God who's concerned for where you are, right? He's concerned with the here and now. You called out to him and he answers me. St. Augustine said of this verse, he said, why did God hear or why did God answer him, the psalmist? And it was for this, that he might now place him at the steps of ascent. He might now place him at the steps of ascent. See, God is near. God is with us. God is concerned. And he hears and answers that he might now place us at the steps of ascent, that he may now set us on the way that he can set us on the journey, that he can set us on the right path, that he can set us on the pilgrimage that's discipleship. There's a reason that, I, that we want to do this for this, this particular series uh, for this summer. There's a reason that we want to do this series for this church in this time and in this place. If you've been here for a little while, you know we were in Matthew for a very long time, about a year and a half. But we just got finished with Matthew a couple weeks ago and we've left the gospel of Matthew and we've seen how Matthew answers the idea that God is far from us. Matthew blatantly demonstrates that God has always said different and that through Jesus, he's proven different. And he opens the book with the incarnation of Jesus with his name, Emmanuel, God is with us. And he closes it with Jesus telling his disciples, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us always to the end of the age. He is not distant. And in that great commission at the end of Matthew, as Jesus calls us to discipleship and he calls us to making disciples before his own ascension to the Father, we tend to be quick 
to make our own way out of what it means to make disciples. This is why it's important for us at this place and at this time. Because we, in our culture, are quick to make our own way out of what it means and out of that calling to make disciples. We often look for a shortcut. We look for a shortcut. It's what we do in our culture with just about anything. We want the quick way. We want to get rich quick. We want, to do, we, want, we want it all and we want it now. And so it is with discipleship. We want it all and we want it now. And so we look for a shortcut. It's a cultural norm for us to act that way. But we can quickly become discontent, distressed, discouraged if things don't go the way that we expect, if we don't get what we thought we were going to get, Right? So what I want us to do with these songs of ascent, where I want us to start is I want us to call out to God and truly listen and truly hear his answer and his way. This is the fork in the road. What's discipleship going to look like? Are we going to make it out to be what we think it should be? Or are we going to go with the answer that he has for us and the way that he's setting us on? So where are we starting from? I called out my distress. What are we distressed about? What are you distressed about? You might say, God, heal this issue, or God, heal that issue. God, reconcile the races. God, end slavery. God, end abortion. God, grow our church. God, bless our city. God, provide for me financially or for us financially. God, bless, just bless our efforts. Where are we calling out from? Where are you calling out from? What are you distressed about? Whatever we're passionate about, whatever causes us distress, I just know this about us in our culture. I know this. We tend, we have a tendency to want to go big or go home. We want to go big or go home. But the truth is that a lot of the time, it would be a lot easier for us to go big and broad at the expense of going deep. I think going big can be a shortcut is what I'm saying. We could tackle an issue head on at this church. We could just tackle, say, racial reconciliation. We could hold like a big event that proves that we're not racist people and that we want, we want a, a unity in our diversity, right? We could stamp redemption's name on it and done. But here's what I know, is that when we do that, we can also unintentionally let everybody who's a part of this body off the hook. You don't have to do anything. Nothing has to change in you. If we just do an event or if we just make something happen, we could go big and nobody would have to submit unchanged areas of their heart to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. We could say... If you were part of the church and we did the, the right event, we got enough people there and we made it loud enough and big enough, we could each say, oh, I'm not a racist. My church had an African-American preacher preach one Sunday. Or we did such and such service project with the black church down the street, right? But you wouldn't have to listen or empathize with the hurts of others. You wouldn't have to befriend folks who are of different color. And I mean, like, have people in your house that are a different color, you wouldn't have to deal with that. You wouldn't have to stop telling racist jokes. 
This is all, it could also do something else. It could go the opposite way. We can do the big event and put Redemption's Church stamp on it, and it would also give us all permission to get on our high horse, right? And to just go around calling everybody else out every time they mess up, every time they do something wrong. It could make us uh, unable to show them grace. It could, it could just give us all permission to judge everybody who stepped out of line instead of deliver the gospel. Here's another example. We could... We could do a great job at global missions programs at Redemption Church. We could just do a fantastic job with our global missions programs, and we would all be able to say, I'm all about missions. My church raised money for the church in Uganda. We give money to plant churches all over the world. We sent a missions team to wherever. But we could do really good at that, and none of us would feel the need possibly to pray for the lost in our own neighborhood or share the gospel with the people in our own neighborhood. You could actually hand the responsibility of finishing the Great Commission off to the missionaries, right? And forget that the Great Commission speaks directly to each one of us and to us together. I'm not saying I'm not for any of these things. I'm not saying that our church shouldn't be for any of these things. I'm saying that we can't take the shortcut. We could all stick up for somebody or something in public, but not learn how to deliver the gospel to our own hearts. Not learn how to deliver the gospel like at our family dinner tables on the holidays, right? And not learn how to deliver the gospel into our smallest circles of influence. We could skip all of that stuff, look for the big platform, look for the go big, and miss the real heart change. We in this culture, at least, are less interested in the small stuff. There doesn't seem to be as much glory in the small circles of influence. There's not a lot of glory in the big changes in our hearts. There's not a lot of glory for us so that people see it. There's not a lot of glory in the big changes in us that God makes in the secret places that he promises to make in the secret places. So we want big changes outside, not inside. We go there first. So we naturally chase big influence, big platforms, and big glory. At Redemption Church, I'm kind of ranting, I get that, I'm sorry. At Redemption Church, I know it seems hard to catch the vision sometimes. And I think that's for several reasons, so I just want to say it again. I know it can be hard to catch the vision sometimes. I think it's for several reasons, but I think the biggest reason is this, is our vision is really small. I mean, ultimately, I actually think it's the biggest vision ever. I think it's what God wants us to do. I think it's where God is going. I think it's where the whole Bible's going. I think that's where the whole story's going. But it seems really small. We just want to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. That's our vision statement, right? Lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. Because we totally believe that hearts that are saturated with the gospel, hearts that are saturated with the knowledge of the glory of God will spill over and preach the glory of God to our city and to others. That It'll spill over and it'll preach the glory of God and the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to our children and to our families and to our friends and to the people in our workplaces. So at Redemption Church, we're going after the ordinary, everyday stuff in our lives. We want to go after the hearts of each one of us in the room with the gospel. I want you to go after my heart with the gospel. And we want to see disciples who are increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. We say it almost every week. 
That's how we say, that's what we say discipleship is. Because we believe that each time the gospel reaches a new unevangelized place in our heart, the good news will come spilling out of you. Because you don't have to be educated to some certain level. You don't have to know a whole lot, honestly, to share when something really good happens to you. We do that naturally. When something really good happens, when some change happens in your life that's really good, you share it. So, as the gospel changes you and changes your heart, you'll tell your, chil- you'll tell your children, you'll tell your friends, you'll tell your family, and the good news of Jesus Christ will spread. I believe that that's the plan in the Bible. Here's the thing, though. The vision doesn't happen overnight. There's no shortcut on this. Sanctification, that's becoming more like Christ, it takes a lifetime. And God works in each of us in different ways and at a different pace and at different time and different places so that we can spill over into each other, so that we can be a part of sanctifying one another. He uses us in that for one another so that we together, as we fight for the faith of the gospel, can proclaim Jesus to the world. The reason for this series at this time, at this place, at this church, is because the vision here is we're going small. And we're going to go what we believe is the way. We believe it's kind of long. But we're going with the ordinary. We're going with the everyday. We're going to go ordinary because we believe that that is where God does the extraordinary. We're going with the ordinary because we believe that is where God does the extraordinary. It's not up to us to build a big platform and get big influence and make things happen for God because we don't have to do extraordinary things for God. God will use the ordinary to do the extraordinary extraordinary things that he does. So what I believe we'll hear in these songs of ascent is God answering us in our distress with his answer, whether it's the one we like or not, which is, the way, which is to set us on his way. And that there's no other way for discipleship. Check out John. This is uh, John chapter 14, verse 1 and verse 6. John 14, 1 and 6. It says this in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Just think back to Psalm 120. That's Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be distressed. And then he says, believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says some other stuff, and we move to verse 6. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So listen. In our going up, in our journey, in our pilgrimage called discipleship, we can't jump over Jesus to heal the broken things of this world. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We can't jump over Jesus to heal the broken things of this world. We can't jump over Jesus to bring justice where there is, no, where there is injustice. We can't jump over Jesus to reach people with the gospel. That doesn't even make sense. We can't jump over Jesus to do anything of real significance 
I know that in our wisdom and in my wisdom and my impatience, we want to. We want to jump over him. We want to see the healing. We want to see the big stuff happen. But he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. There's no other way for healing except broken hearts being healed by the gospel. That's the good news of the person work of Jesus. See, broken issues are healed through hearts that are healed. So that's the way we're going. We're going after hearts. See, God knows what is best for each one of us and is working all things together for the good of those who love him. That's Romans 8, 28. And he wants to teach us the way of waiting patiently in him. These songs of ascent, they teach us the way of waiting patiently in him and believing that he's good beyond our comprehension as Jesus has proven through the cross. And he teaches us the way of walking in his wisdom and not out of our own. Eugene Peterson has a book on the Songs of Ascent, and it was, it was a really good book that I read years ago. And uh, the title of the book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I, you don't have to read the rest of the book, but that's a great title. I love the title because that's what these songs help us to see. It's that discipleship is a journey. It's a pilgrimage, and there are no shortcuts. God's way calls us to find peace, to find our hope, so we have courage in him, so we're able to continually walk along the way that he sets us on and run this race with endurance to finish. So as we move from the book of Matthew and last week's Global Missions Emphasis Weekend to answer the call of the Great Commission, which is what we left off with, it says this, go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that Jesus commanded, right? As we leave Matthew, as we leave the Great Commission and and go out from that, I'm reminded of what uh, Brent, uh, when he preached a couple weeks ago, he left us with a quote from Tim Keller, and it said this. It says, Christians move out into a violent world as agents of peace, into a broken world as agents of reconciliation, into a needy world as servants of the poor. And we do so knowing that it is God's will to eventually end all war and division, all poverty and injustice. We go out as agents of these things, not believing that it's up to us to change it all and to make it all happen. We go out as agents believing that God's will is to eventually end those things. So Psalm 120, it's the first in these songs of ascent. It's a reality check that we need as we answer that call, as we start the journey, and as we answer the calling of the Great Commission to be disciples and to make disciples. And it says this, Psalm 120, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from, o Lord, from lying lips, and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Keter. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I told you I read that book a long time ago. These Psalms of Ascent, these songs of Ascent are kind of like the song I remember with my grandma. The horse put his foot on the ground, right? I have 
significant memories with the songs of ascent. It's personal for me. I remember being shaken out of my worldly point of view while I went through these for several months, where I thought that I could do God's work, but do it the world's way. See, I came down to downtown several years ago. I wanted to plant a church. Claire and I moved down here. We bought a building. You might know some of my story. We wanted to plant a church. Here's the real truth of it. I wanted to go big. I had a plan. I wanted to build a great platform, lead with the best leaders, run the best, most efficient, most effective programs. And when I was on top, I was going to be the best thing that ever happened to God and his calling. Now, I wouldn't have said that. I didn't know that I was that much of a jerk. I was ignorant. I never would have been able to say that that this is what I wanted, but my understanding and my wisdom were just so twisted up with the world's. I think it's probably the same, it's possibly the same for some of you in the room. You might be in the same boat, but for me, by the grace of God, I mean, it's not over. I'm not totally sanctified, right? But by the grace of God, it all came crashing down around me, and in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now, for a few years when I was a kid, I lived in California. We lived around San Diego. And I remember sleeping in this tent that was made for my bed, like it, would, it was fit around my twin mattress, right? And then on the top was a tent, you could zip it, and I loved it. I felt really secure in my tent. I had all my toys and whatnot in there, and then I would, uh, you know, sleep in my tent with it closed, and it felt really secure. I like sleeping in tight, enclosed spaces for some reason. Then one night, there was an earthquake, because it's California. <laughs> and uh, I woke up as I was hitting the floor. So I came out from under the doors of the tent because it wasn't like actually sealed. It was just a zipper. I rolled out from under, it, under there as, as the earth shook and I, I woke up as I hit the floor. It wasn't a bad earthquake. Nobody was hurt <coughs> except for me uh, falling on my bed. But what I found out really quick is that the tent wasn't as secure as I thought, right? Now, I was a little kid. It's not like I thought about that then. But, uh, but yeah, it's not as secure anymore, right? In much the same way, I feel like God used the songs of ascent. God used this song of ascent, Psalm 120. And God shook up my whole life in the same way. He shook me out onto the ground so that all of a sudden I realized two things. One, I can't do God's work. God does God's work. I can't do God's work for him. God does God's work. And number two, I realized that I was trying to run my faith and the church with the wisdom of the world. And I was totally ignorant. And so my perspective was opened up. And so this prayer in verse 2, it resonated with me, and it still does, because he prays, he says in verse 2, deliver me from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. So all of a sudden you've got a new perspective, and you realize that everything you believed was true or everything that you believed was right isn't right, that God's way is different. Then you realize this isn't my home. I don't belong here. And honestly, when you begin to see that, you might just want to scream a little bit that everything you thought was good is not not right. It's pretty terrifying. You might want to say, God, get us out of here. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Right? And so we have this song. We need to sing this song. We got to recite it back to ourselves, remembering what has been promised to the adversary of God. I'm thinking back to Genesis. What does God have for the serpent? 
the liar in the garden, the adversary who would deceive us into believing the world is better than the way that God said it is. What does God have for him? A crushed head for the serpent. And in Psalm 120, verse 4, what does he have for the liar and the deceitful? A warrior's sharp arrows. So, we're reminded that the ways of the world and the ways of God are not in the same. As a matter of fact, they're against each other. They're not, these two ways are not one and the same. I'm not just talking about sin issues alone either, right? Just like your common everyday sin issues that we talk about. I'm not just talking about that. I'm saying our whole worldview, our whole perspective, our logic, the way we think, the way we act, the way we do, the way the world does all those things is different than the way God says we do all those things. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God are set against each other. And for the liar and the deceiver, for the world, he has a crushed head and a warrior's sharp arrows. So it's a call for us to fall on our faces in prayer then and say, God, pick me up off of that way and put me on yours. Set us back on your way. Set us on your side. And then we can cry with the rest of this song. It says in verse 5, Woe to me, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech and that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. These places, these are names of places, and they represent the hostility of the world. And Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, I'm not promoting it, you don't have to go read the whole message, or whatever, but he, he paraphrases it well so we understand what uh, this symbolizes. It says, I live in the midst of hoodlums and wild savages. This world is not my home and I want out. I live in the midst of hoodlums and wild savages. This world is not my home, and I want out. So as we start the Songs of Ascent, this is the first step of our journey. It's the first step on our pilgrimage. It's to recognize that there's a fork in the road, that there's two paths diverging in the wood, and like Robert, Robert Frost, we've got to choose the one less traveled, right? So that we can say with verse 6 and verse 7, Too long have I had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. This is not my home and I want out. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I think we've experienced this. We've probably all experienced this. But see, when the world, the world will tell us what peace looks like, but it's got no idea. They'll just say that it looks like maybe going with the flow or live and let live, or it looks like loving others the way they say for us to love them. And it's tricky because for a while, some of it kind of seems to mesh, right? Like we kind of want to, we can walk with people who want to see uh, dignity for every person, for every human being. We can deal with that. That's right. We want peace. We want dignity for everyone. We want everybody to be valued. But the truth is that as soon as we think differently, and we will come to a place where the gospel and where God's wisdom will look different than the wisdom of the world and the peace of the world. Because it'll look different because the truth that we've all fallen short in our own wisdom and in our own ways, that we need grace and love and direction from God, that's offensive to those who are self-righteous, who believe they don't need anybody. And as soon as we diverge, the world will rise up and threaten war. We have a choice. We're at a fork in the road. Will we believe God? Will we believe 
Jesus and go his way over our own, or will we go a different route? Will we take the shortcut? Will we get a big platform and big influence and miss what he wants to do in our hearts and miss how he wants to saturate us to saturate the entire world? These are the songs for this discipleship journey. To sing at every point along the way so that we are able to take refuge in God and decisively stand in the peace that surpasses understanding so that we can keep going in his way, so that we can run this race with endurance. I'm going to ask as we begin these 15 weeks that you would just go back and maybe read and reread this passage. You could grab Eugene Peterson's book. It's, a, it's helpful. Uh, book Tavern keeps it in stock for me because I've bought it for a lot of people. So there's one over there for sure. Beth Moore has a pretty good study on the, the I think it's called uh, Stepping Up. Uh, you, could pick, you could check that out also. But go back and read it and reread this passage. Get something to help you think through it. Discuss it with others. And my hope is that it becomes a song for you and a song for me in the everyday of discipleship. Because every day we wake up at that fork in the road. May this be a song for you in the everyday of discipleship that keeps you aware of the reality of the world we live in. That's violent, there's injustice. It's broken, and would it help us to keep our eyes on Jesus so that we can run this race and finish it? This week is about recognizing the fork in the road and asking God to deliver us from ourselves and from the world. So the questions are, what are you distressed about? Where are you starting from? What are you distressed about? Have you called out to God? Where do you need to hear the good news in your heart? Do you believe that God's ways are better than your own? Really? Do you really believe it? And if not, hasn't the cross and the resurrection proven it to you that he's for you, that he's not against you, and that he's in complete control, and that he can be trusted, that he's faithful? There's good news in Jesus for every part of life and for every step on this journey of discipleship. So the call this morning is just, it's really to repentance. It's really to recognize where we aren't following him, where we aren't in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus, and to resolve to look to him and to follow him. So as we close and as you go, just consider what ways God may be answering your call of distress with a call to follow him and to trust his goodness and his wisdom over your own. And may he answer us and set us at the steps of ascent as we go through this summer. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week, and uh, we'll just do a few things. The band will come up, and they'll lead us in a time of worship through song, and it's a time for you to sing. And Let's sing together and remember who Jesus is. Remember the truth of the gospel and let it just saturate our hearts. Let it be a reminder to us that we're set on the way this week. It's also a time where if you would like to pray and reflect, you could do that. We will have people in the back with an orange lanyard on that says, can I pray with you? If you'd like somebody to pray with you, you can, you can visit them. We also have a giving basket in the back where you can worship through the giving of your tithes and offerings. And as we do each week, we'll come and take communion together. And so there'll be people here to serve it. You'll come down this middle aisle and you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the wine or the juice. And as we do that, we remember that Jesus is who he said he is, that God is who he said he is, 
He's not far from us. He's with us. He came. He's with us, and he's with us always, even to the end of the age. God is not distant. Jesus made a way for us to be sons and daughters of God, and we're proclaiming that we believe that this is true, that God has saved us, and that God is setting us on his way. And as we remember and remind each other of that, we're we're proclaiming it to one another, and we hear that we we think about how uh, this, this community is a proclamation of that gospel together into our city as well. If you're not a believer, we would ask that you not come and take, because like I said, we're saying that we're saved, that we're Christians, that we're followers of Jesus Christ. So if you can't say that, don't say that. But we do want you to hear what we're saying in our actions. Jesus loves you. God loves you. God has a great love for you. And he sent his only son to die and to be raised again from the dead to prove it to you. I don't know what else can prove it to you. But he loves you and he's inviting you to come. So you can hear hear that, find somebody, talk to them. We just invite you to take Jesus this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you again for this day and this time together. We thank you. I thank you for this community. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the gospel. I just thank you that there's so much good news. I, it's so much. It's bigger than I think any of us know. It goes deeper than any of us know. It can affect areas of our life that we didn't even know needed affecting. And Father, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would stir that up in us, that we would see the unevangelized places in our heart, that we would see by the the fruit on the tree that doesn't look like Jesus, that we would know uh, where you want to do a work in us. And we would, I just pray that the good news would speak to us, that we would learn uh, to listen and to know how the gospel applies to each one of our hearts. And that every day, that we would remember that you are with us, that you're concerned. Father, I pray that you then pick us up, and you set us on your way. As we begin this summer, I just pray that um, you'd set us on this journey, that you would teach us to wait patiently on you, teach us to go small, teach us to go ordinary, teach us to believe that we can't do this for you, that you're going to do your work, that this is not us building a church, but that Christ is building his church, and that Your glory is going to go out and saturate the whole world. We're invited to come along, but we're not called to do your work for you. You're going to do your work. So teach us to wait. Teach us to walk slowly. Teach us to not take shortcuts. Teach us to, like, allow the gospel into our hearts and into the small circles of influence in our life. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.